Hello, I'm Holly Sexton, and riding shotgun is my partner, Megan Stith. And this is the Boss Lady Podcast, brought to you by Fort Knox Federal Credit Union, people helping people. At Fort Knox Federal Credit Union, we've got your back through all of life's biggest moments. Like when your daughter looks in the mirror at the bridal shop and says, This is the one. When you walk through a home that you want to make your own. This is the one. Or when he tours the campus for the first time. This is the one. Fort Knox Federal Credit Union has money to lend for each of life's precious moments with low-rate loans for every celebration. Stop by a branch or visit fortknoxfcu.org for more information. Equal Opportunity Lender. On this episode of the Boss Lady Podcast, we talk about women in politics, what it takes to run, educate yourself, raise funds, and get the job done. We talked with Dr. Danielle Lovell at her kitchen table with her partner, her daughter, and her campaign go-getter, Abigail. I hope you enjoy it. I wanted to interview the two of you and talk with you because you are fresh off the campaign trail uh-huh. and um, both of you yes. worked yes. the campaign. Yes, we did. <laughs> so I was practically planning all of her meetings and stuff. Oh, That's really? a big job because she had a yeah. lot of meetings. Yeah, so I was like going into my notebooks. I actually have a private one for just planning for her campaign and I just went in there and said this. Okay, it's the night before that. Better start planning what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so you were helping like at home. Yes, 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 very much so. And did you go door to door? Yes, I did in the 100 degree weather. Oh my gosh, yeah. So when did your campaign start? So we um, we started thinking about doing this the beginning of January 2018. Um, and we had several people reach out to me um, and ask if we would be interested in, in running. And running for office is something I had always wanted to do. Um, I come from a political family. Um, My grandfather was president of the Seneca Nation in New York State. My father was a tribal counselor. Um, Several cousins have been elected tribal councilmen. Uh, And so I I, I knew that I wanted to do this and my husband was always very supportive. And so we finally, in the middle of January, decided, you know what, we're going to go bigger, go home. And we, we decided to file. So it was January of 2018, and we literally kicked off the campaign trail the weekend after I filed. Um, I went to my first event and started stumping and uh, kind of organizing uh, what the campaign had looked like. And Abigail's right. She was a huge part of that. Um, when she talks about her little notebook, she she sure had one. She yes. knew where Mama was going to yes. be. and. Yes. I did. She was... Um, I can even go get my notebook. <laughs> <laughs> she was there working the room and um, just, you know, knocking doors with me and walking in parades and riding in parades and helping us address um, postcards or letters or helping me with thank you notes. Yeah, and helping the float by putting my hands in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Riding the floats. Um, it, it's, it was uh, definitely... A lot of fun to have her along in doing this (laughs) and you have a lot not just with your family history but you have done a lot of work toward your doctorate on understanding uh, race in politics but also gender in politics so what did you learn from uh, is it a dissertation is that what it's called Sure. I was working on your dissertation. Yeah, so when I was at the University of Missouri, um, and, and prior to that when I was at Delta State University, um, I studied uh, leadership development programs. I studied community leadership. I studied how is it that we talk about these difficult things of race and social class and gender, and number one, train new people to you know enter the field of leadership, um, but then understand what the barriers are for new people in leadership. Um, with my dissertation, I, honestly, I went in with it um, thinking that considering I was doing the interviews in the Mississippi Delta and I was interviewing those individuals who had grown up at the knees of the great civil rights leaders, they were children when those great civil rights leaders were at work in the Mississippi Delta. Um, so I expected to this, for the big story to be race that came out of that. And what I was really surprised about, which is why they call it an exploratory study, was that it was gender. Um, and that it was, and unfortunately, a lot of the challenges that those women identified to me 10 years ago, the frustrations that they had, the successes, the networks that supported them, I found that to be 
um, 100% true 10 years later when I ran my own campaign. And so um, I think unpacking and talking about those is really important. Um, and, and for me, it was a real eye-opener to see, um, unfortunately, in some ways, not a lot of the progresses that we would hope to have been made. Mm-hmm. What are some of those? Can we unpack mm-hmm. what sure. those are? So one of, the, one of the first things that women told me 10 years ago um, a lot of them had run for leadership positions prior to. There were several that were uh, city council women. They were, um, you know, elected to the school board. They were um, very active in their communities in, in all kinds of ways. Um, and that seemed to be okay. You know, it was okay for them to be in those positions. And so for myself, for the last 10 years, I've worked um, in our community. I have a doctoral degree, you know, I'm doctor level is what they call me. Um, I've done the research and I've done, um, I, you know, I'm an expert in a lot of these areas and I have a body of published work that kind of backs that up. And what they found and what I found um, was that for women, we just have to work harder to prove that we're capable and that we have the expertise to do um, whatever elected leadership position it is. For them, it was mayor. Um, for me, it was when I was running for state representative. I was asked questions that I don't, um, that a lot of, I noticed that a lot of my male counterparts were not asked in regards to, you know, what makes me qualified. Um, and, and that was really disappointing. Um, these women talked a lot about sexism when they ran. Uh, You know, they talked about comments being made about their body, comments being made um, about just the role of women and where women ought to be. And unfortunately, I would knock doors, have a gentleman come to the door, and, you know, I'd hand him my card, I'd be talking about my qualifications, and he'd say, well, you're nice to look at. Um, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks for that vote. Right. Yeah. yeah, give me the vote. I'll take it. But yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you would read through like the Facebook comments made on like posts on our campaign page, and you know, there were comments about my nice legs, which that I mean, well, thank you for the compliment, sort of, right? I mean, it's just sure. this very icky kind of feeling. So they experienced the same thing. Um, And then it really, so for me, I think one of the things that rang true that for them and for me, that I don't think is a negative, but that we don't talk enough about, um, the women who ran for office that I talked about, talked to 10 years ago, they talked about that circle of women around them. They talked about, you know, yeah, my spouse was was helpful and it's important to have a helpful spouse in this that wants to see you succeed in this. But for them, it was the women that ran their campaign. It was the women that um, walked and beat the doors for them. It was the women that helped pick up the slack and all these areas of your life when this craziness is going on. And it's absolutely true. The, the people that supported my campaign the most, and I had a lot of great men out there supporting me, but those that were core and central to the work that we got done were women. And um, it was amazing what a group of women that prior to this election experience, we didn't really know each other very well. But when we came out of this on November 6th, we were, um, we were a core group. They were my circle. They were my tribe, whatever you want to call them. You can't imagine your life without them mm-hmm. in that quick of, of a space. And, and Abigail knows that too, because she, she knows and loves those women. Yes, um, I do. I love them with my heart, but they help my beautiful mother. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, what did you see out there that, that made you go, hmm, while well, you were out on the campaign trail? What did you see? Well, I saw a lot of things. Is there anything you'd like to share about that? Maybe going door to door or how about um, at school? Did your friends know about it? My friends know about it the day of the election. Everybody said, Abigail, hey, I'm voting for your mom. <laughs> oh, because you had kids vote. Yeah, like, well, we didn't, but they were like, everybody was saying, hey, Abigail, my mom said that she was going to vote for you or my dad is or my dog is. <laughs> so how did that feel? It felt very good that I knew that my mom was probably going to get a lot of votes. That does feel good. That night, my little puppy Jake was, like, very excited, probably. Yeah? 
He was coming all around me. <laughs> and one of the things that she points out that her educators were so supportive of me. Mm-hmm. And um, like that my was... teacher, Miss Savage, she was like always on it. She was like, Abigail, it's almost here. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> she yeah. was my best little campaigner yeah. in school. Did she get any extra credit for all of this hard work? It seems like you must have learned a lot through the experience. Well,. In the middle of the election, I got to go to Frankfurt a lot. I did, I talked in front of a bunch of people. And in the middle of the election, I shadowed Secretary of State Grimes. Yes, you did. Very cool. Yes, I was very nervous about it, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, you did, did it. <laughs> yeah, you were afraid and you did it anyway. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, one thing that I recall that I, I don't know if I saw it on a post on social media or what it was, but it was... And it, it burned a hole through me. Like, I just incinerated from, from the inside out. But anyway, it was about asking where your children were mm-hmm. while you were out campaigning. And who gets that question? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard that verbalized before. It's like, um, do, do they ask you that when you're out campaigning? Well, you were asked that, right? Yes. I was, I was asked that on more than one, on one occasion. And... It, you know, on its face, it seems like a fairly, you know, innocuous type of question. But, you know, underneath when you're asking women who are, you know, either running for positions like this or they are executives in, you know, organizations or whatever it may be, you know, you're really, the underlying assumption is there that somehow your children must be being harmed because you're so, you're away from them and they're, you know, you're not at home and they're not your sole focus and those sorts of things. And, um, it's it's really frustrating. Um, I have, uh, you know, and, and I shouldn't have to justify, and, and it's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm about to justify this, and there should be no reason for me to justify it in that, you know, I had her father, <laughs> okay, right? You know, I have a spouse that is absolutely amazing and um, was, was home with her 24-7 because he's a stay-at-home parent. <laughs> yep, he quit his job when I was a baby just to stay with me so my mom could keep her job. Exactly. I mean, we, we have that kind of um, relationship. And, you know, she has her grandmother that is here and very active in, in yes, helping. she is. She sometimes even takes me out to the bus stop if, if it's raining. <laughs> yes. And, and, and she was just very helpful with this whole thing. She went to a lot of meetings with us. She helped out. She was amazing with this whole thing. She was. And, and so was my dad because my dad was all the time going like, you can do and at boss lady coaching we have a philosophy about um our friends being supportive our male friends mm-hmm. and it's uh, called he for she mm-hmm. and we don't have to have that to do great things but it really does make a difference and megan has sons and i have a i have a son and two stepsons and we're just surrounded by dudes mm-hmm. and so it really is helpful um not just for us to have their support but for other people to see them supporting us in our mm-hmm. our ventures and and not just with child care and that type of thing but also being out there and being vocal and saying look exactly <laughs> look what they're doing yeah. and and I absolutely love that so I'm I'm thankful that you have that and she has that example mm-hmm. in her life it's it's just unfortunate, though, that, you know, that question follows us on, on the campaign trail of, you know, because it is a lot of work. And I was gone from home a lot. And there are a lot of times that I couldn't take her with me. And yeah. there were there were times that that mom guilt was there. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, I'm a sociologist. I study these sorts of things. And, you know, and I fully believe we ought to be out there doing all these things. But there's all of this societal guilt tied up in that that we're kind of conditioned into and so you know I felt it you know I felt it when I was missing bedtime two or three nights a week because I wasn't there or I wasn't the one cooking her dinner or whatever it may be. Yeah like sometimes I couldn't even fall asleep at night because I didn't see her like sometimes when I have sleepovers and I cannot see her I won't even fall asleep for the whole night like I had a recent one I couldn't fall asleep because she was at something and it was the same at the campaign she came home at like midnight and I couldn't even sleep until midnight when I saw her. Because you missed her? Yeah, like I didn't even get anything. Like my dad was like, okay, I'm going to play my video game. My Nana went to sleep early and so I didn't really get any love and... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I know how you feel. When you really love somebody and you care about somebody, you want to be around them. So yeah. I think mom guilt aside, just like clean house guilt. Right. Um, all of those things that, that our worth may be tied up in, mm-hmm. that they teach us about our worth. I think really mama wanted to be near you mm-hmm. <laughs> because she missed you and she loved you, not because you were in a situation that was no, no, exactly. You know, and, you not know, great. Yeah, she, um, you know, I knew people were here for her. I knew that my mom was here. I knew my dad was here. I knew she wasn't suffering in any kind of way, or her dad was here. Um, but it still crosses your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't change a thing. So how did you, because I think that's something that a lot of women, you know, is they're thinking about running for office or pursuing leadership positions or going for a promotion. These are the things that they're debating about in their own heads. Mm-hmm. So how did you keep pushing yourself for such a long, I mean, this is a long-term commitment. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that you could just, you know, hunker down and get through six weeks of craziness. So yeah. what were some ways that you knew this was going to be tough but kept yourself moving forward to achieve your goal it it goes back to looking at my daughter there are things that I want for her um, as she's growing up in our communities in our public schools in um, the decisions she's able to make that I want to see for her and um, that just keeps me go that kept me going a lot Um, that kept me going and the commitment that I never do something unless I'm in it full force on, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we know go the bigger, feeling. Go, go big or go home. <laughs> um, so we knew it was going to be a lot of time. Uh, and that that internal faith that you have and that, that strength that you're going to accomplish something, um, a lot of uh, mental... Um, Visioning that might sound like really, really weird or no, whatever, no. but you know, envisioning myself at the end of the process, envisioning myself at the end saying, you know, I, I want to make sure that I know that I've done everything I can possibly do. So at the end, no matter the outcome, I know I did all I could. Um, that kept me going. Um, That's a powerful tool. Olympic athletes use that tool, mm-hmm. well, athletes in general use that tool all the time mm-hmm. to in your mind spend some time just thinking about what that looks like Mm -hmm. what your day-to-day looks like what and you're right taking everything off the table that you could do and to Mm -hmm. walk away and say Mm -hmm. I did my best Mm -hmm. Um, but how did you deal with the day after what was that like did you sleep (laughs) that night after the election Um, I did I slept really well good Uh, I so I, you know, I when I filed for this, it was a tough district. It was an eighty twenty district. Um, the likelihood of pulling off that kind of big upset was going to be nearly impossible. Let's just call it what it was. Um, but my goal was to to talk about issues, talk about what's happening in the 18th district and specifically what was happening in Grayson County. I saw a lot when I was campaigning down there that it's a totally different world than what we experience here in Hardin County. Um, And so I wanted to talk about issues and I got to accomplish that. So the day after I was pretty okay. Mm -hmm. I I really was, I was pretty okay. Um, What happened then is as the weeks were kind of going by, And as I was trying to settle back into a routine, um, I started to think about all of the things that I didn't process during the election. I started to recall the the sexism that I experienced at events that I would just put it, you know, put it in the back and I'd say, I'll deal with that later. It was um, some of the things that happened while I was knocking doors and how mean people were and the way that they would just bash you um just trying to have that conversation about you know what do we want to see i put that in the back door um about a month before the election my campaign team um made it where i couldn't uh, see the comments on facebook anymore and they would just bring to me like issues that i needed to address and how are we going to address those because i was reading those comments and um, people can be really horrible on social media mm-hmm. and it was it, it was ripping my heart out in some of the ways that I was 
um, see, I was seeing posts about myself that I read through these descriptions and I was like, man, I wouldn't vote for that person. They're nuts. And then I realized that they're talking about me. Um, you know, I didn't recognize. So you felt really misunderstood. Yeah. I didn't recognize the caricature that had been built about me and in, in the way that people are saying, well, that's just politics. So in the weeks after the election, I started dealing with all of those things that happened that I I put away because you got to push through you got to get to the end you have to you know get to the goal and and so you 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 suppress a lot of things um and so what I realized is that I was really um in some ways bitter and in some ways very I was very hurt I was very angry very very angry about some of the things that were said about me um, that were just so not true and com you know as I said before these caricatures that were created of me that um, people bought hook line and sinker um, and and so I started really processing that over the last couple of months uh, and in and I keep telling people this and kind of teasing about it and saying you know I'm only doing work right now that heals my soul and it's true, I'm only taking on projects when it comes to my work that I feel like give back in a meaningful way. And not that I wasn't doing that work before because I was, but you know, that, that just helped me remind me of number one, why I did it to begin with, because it was about the people I had come into contact with over the last 10 years of working on community development issues in Hardin County and seeing the poverty and seeing our what rates of poverty in our school and what kind of poverty families are living in and that's why I got into it and in using that again to heal and to remind myself why I do that work why I wanted to run for office and why I've got to keep doing that work afterwards because there was part of me as I really started unpacking that that I was just like you know forget this I don't have to put myself out there I can go and teach my classes and I can do my research in my own little world and I never have to do any of that ever again I don't I don't have to put myself out there to be a punching bag and that's what I was to a lot of people is just this horrible punching bag um, but then I realized, yes, I do have to put myself out there. Yes, I do have to continue doing this work. And yes, it's not going to be the last time that, you know, I either run for office or do something else that, that continues to work on the kinds of things that I'm passionate about. And I have to do that because of, you know, my daughter. And I have to do mm -hmm. that because of her friends. And I have to do mm -hmm. that because of the women um, that I work with at Warm Blessings. And I have to do it because of um, my students in the classroom that are still struggling, even though they're working harder than they've ever worked. Um, but it was, it, it has been a real, a really tough process coming to a reckoning of some of the things that happened and some of the things that were said. And thank you for being vulnerable. Yeah. Um, some of those things sound very familiar. And there have been times where I've just messaged Megan out of the blue. And I'm like, I feel really attacked. Or I feel this, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that no matter what we do or how we put ourselves out there, somebody will come at us with a barb mm -hmm. of some sort. Um, and and it may look very different. What And, you know, with your background, you can look at that behavior and say, I know why that is happening. Mm -hmm. Or it, it may not be a stone that someone's throwing at you, but it's it's still hurtful mm -hmm. and it still makes you angry. And, and I don't know about you, but I feel like in some ways you can't get a lot of closure because there's no outlet for that. Mm -hmm. And you can't go back and say, hey, this is who I am. I know who you heard I was on the trail, but there's none of that. Yeah. And that does make it difficult. I was I was telling someone the other day that um, I've, I've really come to realize that there are a few, I'm not going to lie, there are a few individuals that I'm still a little salty with. <laughs> <laughs> but part of what I've come to recognize that what I was most bitter about was a process that said that this was normal. A process that said it was normal to so viciously attack someone running for office. Mm -hmm. A process that said it was normal, that it's okay to totally degrade someone online. A process that said it was, you know, well, that's just politics. And that's what I'm angry about now. That is 
to me, that is not what politics should be like because it causes the kinds of things we're seeing at the state and the federal level where we can't even come together and have a conversation about a serious issue and work out a compromise that can be for the best of our state or our nation. And I'm so sick of the phrase, well, that's just politics. And every single one of us can do something about that. Every single one of us can vow not to fall into those traps where we hear those catchwords and we automatically, something in our brain clicks and we become a totally different person and think we can just attack another individual just based on that, that you know, that bait word that's used. Like what's, a, what's an example? Oh my of goodness. A, of a word or some words. Yeah, so for me, it was, one of them was socialist. Um, so I'm a sociologist. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> Spill check, right? Um, but but socialist was lobbed at me an awful lot, and it, it's because that you know I I believe that there's this balance between what we as individuals can do on our own and what we need um, our government to do to function properly for us to be able to get things done in our community. Um, you know I don't believe that you know, everything ought to be controlled by the central state and all of this sort of thing, which is what, you know, a lot of socialism is. Um, But that was lobbed at me all the time. It was being said about me at the door, you know, when people were were knocking doors, they were, oh, she's a socialist. Well, no, I'm not. I am not a socialist. sociologist. I am a sociologist. And... (laughs) And and the, the really sad part about that, or the thing that makes me really angry, is that you spend so much time trying to clear up misinformation mm-hmm. that that could be energy spent somewhere else. It could be. And I think yeah. everybody listening can relate to having something distract them mm-hmm. from their goal. Mm-hmm. And that was a big distraction. Sure. Like the Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. That could drain you it if does. you spend a lot of time. I was saying, I need somebody to just follow me around and do that anyway. Of Just only show me things that are going to help my mental state mm-hmm. versus right. <laughs> yes. take away all the stuff I don't need to see. I think right. that, could, yeah. that should be a thing. It's like, hmm, am I clouded by this thing? Yes. And so you're right. You went door to door spending a lot of time yeah. just mm-hmm. trying to educate people mm-hmm. and and then once you break through those barrier barriers if you do then that's when you can talk about the issues that you care about sure so you're just jumping hurdles sure the whole way it, it really was and I you know we need to have we need to have more honesty in our political discussions we need to um, I just finished this absolutely amazing book um, and it's written by the women that do pantsuit nation podcast mm-hmm. um, and it's um, Sarah Silvers and and Beth Stivers, Um, you know, Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. And their book is called, um, I don't, I, um, I think you're wrong, but I'm going to listen. It's about having grace filled political discussions. Mm -hmm. And so much of what they said resonated with me. This idea in, in some of it slapped my hand quite a bit in the way that I even engage in political conversations, but a lot of it just kind of was this soothe, soothing piece to my soul when we talked about all of us being at the table with a similar set of facts that we can then work from, right? Um, and so both of them really digging in and listening to different perspectives on how to solve social issues. And then, you know, coming to the table with that same same information and, and talk about it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, you know, you're my neighbor and it's about love, you know, we were told to love thy neighbor, right? And one of my mentors says this all the time. It's, it's not love the neighbor that you want. It's not love the neighbor that you agree with the most. It's not love the neighbor that, you know, um, is your best friend. It's love thy neighbor. Period. 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 Um, and, and we forget that. Is people in my community, my community that I love that were saying horrible things about me. But I have to love my neighbor. And I think that's reading that book was helping me also to kind of get past some of that. But it was it was an amazing book. I, re- I recommend it to anyone that wants to think about how do we have more healthy conversations about how we move forward in our communities. Because we can do it. We can do it, but it is tempting to just not do it. I think it's easier. Well, it's definitely easier, but also like for my blood pressure. <laughs> I'm like, or I look at a person or a situation and I'm like, this is not worth my energy. Mm-hmm. And there are times when that happens, but more often than not, um, 
if we can learn those tools, we can employ those to have those mm-hmm. those difficult conversations mm-hmm. um, and hopefully open up some dialogue sure. and, and the whole listening with grace thing. I don't yes. agree with you or I already know where I stand on that, but mm-hmm. I respect you and I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just so scary to me though and I appreciate you being so candid and you know sharing the, the highs and lows of this experience is because if we can't get a handle on the way we treat each other, where is this going to leave us in terms of people that are willing to take on this kind of challenge? Because Mm -hmm. I just can't, I just applaud, and this is where I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, but anymore, it's like, if you're willing to put your name on a ballot, I, I have utmost respect for you because it's, it almost makes you wonder who would put yourself through this? Mm -hmm. What, what lengths do you have to go to just to offer up your perspective as part of the solution and to take on being a target like that and and my concern is that it's going to ultimately deter the right people from stepping forward and trying to make that happen when yes (laughs) the people you want in office yeah i think the people we want in my life it's this kind of like vicious cycle of like the more rabid we get the more it deters people that um, you know, I really have something to offer, but that aren't willing to put their kids through this or put their family mm-hmm. through this. Because I'm guessing this had to be really hard on not just you, but the people who love you and to not feel like they could fight back on your Yeah, behalf. and have that self-righteous yeah. anger, yeah. you know. My mother, I walked in one night and she was just in absolute tears. And it was one of the, it was one of the op-eds that was written about me in the News Enterprise. And uh, she was heartbroken and she was angry and she was crying and she didn't have that outlet of anyone that she could really say that's not my daughter that you're tearing down and you know that that was really difficult it was really really hard to see because you know no one makes my mama cry you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you just want to you know you want to lash out at someone but you can't because then that gives more you know ammunition and that sort of thing um it was very hard for my husband he you know he we've been together 20 years and he knows that when I do something we're going in and it's it's full on and I don't think he expected to have um so many moments where he was so angry with what he was seeing me go through and what we were going through as a family um I I would do this all over again and I, I want people to recognize that. I would do this all over again because it's worth it. And even with the challenges and even with, you know, the things I feel like I'm trying to heal from now and even with all of it, we have, as women, we have to put ourselves out there and we have to get ourselves at the table because there are too many things that we understand in a way that, I'm sorry, men are just not going to get as much as we do. Um, we have to have diversity of thought at the table. That's when our best ideas come out is when we have all kinds of different backgrounds and perspectives and ideas. That's how we generate the best ideas. Um, that's how we generate the best solutions. And so, yeah, this was hard. And you ought to know going into it, it's hard. But it was worth every bit of it. And I can, even even as I'm like I said, healing, I can say that without any doubt in my mind that I would do this over again in a heartbeat. For someone listening and for you being so vulnerable with us, and I thank you again for that gift, what can they arm themselves with? I know you went to Emerge training. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you recommend to prepare for battle? (laughs) (laughs) Because it sounds like we're discouraging people from doing, following this path, but that's really what we want. We want you to know going into what do they need to know. Yes. Give you the tools that you need to get ready. What tools do they need? Sure. You, You really need to go through a candidate training program, whether it's Emerge on the left or there are wonderful programs on the right. There are independent programs. Running for office is unlike anything I've ever done organizationally. So I'm a community organizer. It's what I do. It's what I was trained in. I'm a community developer. So there are a lot of things that were natural to me about running for office, but there are pieces of running for office that if you haven't been through a training, you don't know how to start. So fundraising. Fundraising was a 
terrifying prospect for me. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that Megan does this for a living is beyond she's me. Badass. She's badass. She's super me on a good <laughs> at it. No. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I keep was... trying to find my way out and he keeps telling me to do it. So. <laughs> I mean, thing. Like, this is your gift and you're like, I don't want it. I want to yeah. do gift this easier, please. <laughs> I have prayed for that before, but hey. You go no. and ask people for millions of dollars and I was like, hey, can I have $10 towards my, my you know, campaign and I was feeling guilty. Those $10 asks though can yeah. be so intimidating sometimes. I mean, it's it's a vulnerable thing whether you're asking somebody for $10 or a thousand. I mean, mm-hmm. you're asking them to believe in you yeah. and especially political fundraising where you know, you can't necessarily put somebody's name on the wing of a building. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough, that's got to be the most personal ask you can make. It's true. It is. It's scary. And then, you know, you're picking up the phone every day. I mean, I'm not kidding. Every day I had what I called call time. And it was just picking up the phone, cold calling people from my past, my, pre- you know, my present people that terrifies me like being on the phone no thank you (laughs) like I would rather do anything not to make phone calls all day so you win that one (laughs) yeah for an hour hey this is Danielle I know we haven't talked in a while you know you you seen on Facebook I'm running for office can you you know can you help support me with $25 and most most sound like yeah and you know they might send me a little bit more which is fantastic but yeah I mean fundraising you've got to learn how to do that um you have to really learn how to frame what you're doing and you mean like an elevator speech type Yes, thing? yes. So, you know, you're lucky in most of these events that you go to to get three minutes. And so you have to be able to, you know, right off your cuff practicing no, you know, uhs, ums, any, anything in it. That three minutes has to be solid. If I had five or seven minutes at an event, I could give you a dissertation, right? <laughs> you know, you can really go into explaining what you want to do. But that's a real skill to learn how to, you know, really distill down to your main points and three minutes. Um, So that is a real skill you have to be trained to do. I would also say there is so much there is so much about running for office now that is that is social media driven that if you don't have a digital strategy, then you know you really are behind on on how to compete in you know 2019. Uh, so I, I that is not something I am very good at. So I had to bring in someone that could create a digital strategy for me. Um, and these are all things you just don't think about. You don't you don't consider that that's all part of running for office. We did 135 events over from you know February until November. Having someone that can help keep you organized in that way and. Um, being able to really write about issues in a concise way that people can grapple with. Um, I'm an academic, you know, I like big words and I'm really flowery and really wordy. I had to bring in someone like uh, Lisa Ferguson, a dear friend of mine who has been in public relations for years. And, you know, she ripped my writing apart and she said, no, you can't use that word and all of those things. So you have to be willing to have folks around you that are going to critique you and you learn those things through a training program. I can't say that enough. Uh, so that's that's some of the first first things. And you just got to have confidence in yourself. Do not be scared. You have something to say. You have something of value to offer. And don't let anyone tell you different. And so that confidence piece, even when it feels like the world's coming down around you in this, it didn't matter because, you know what, I, I knew I was speaking for people that oftentimes didn't have a voice. And that's so you got to have that inner core of what's going to keep you motivated in the hard times. Um, so those, that's just a couple of things I would say are really important to get yourself ready. It's interesting that you brought up motivation because we know that motivation doesn't last. Mm-hmm. We know um, in day-to-day life it's habits. Mm-hmm. That's what really works in the long term. In an election, how do you get beyond motivation? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Yeah, and it's right. It's habits. So one of the things that I do really well, just by the nature of my job, um, you know, I don't have set office hours. I, you know, I have set times I have to show up to teach and all of that. But um, you really have to be good at um, self-discipline uh, to being able to get things done. Maybe time management. And I, like you said, you had the phone time, call time. I am a scheduler. I am a list maker and a scheduler like you wouldn't believe. And so um, I write down if, if I'm like this morning, and this is just... This is so ridiculous, but I knew I was going to spend between 10 and 12 cleaning my house, so it goes on the calendar, and I block that time out. When I was running for office, if I needed to make emails about the campaign, I would block out whether it was 30 minutes, whether it was an hour. 
um, and then you have to stick to that. And it's that is a challenge if, if you have a problem with time management and you have a problem with scheduling and, and that sort of thing. It is going to be it's going to feel like it's always going to feel like you're flying by the seat of your pants, but it's going to feel that much more unmanageable when you don't really schedule yourself. So that that would be something to think about <laughs> or having a person or having a person to do that. it and and i had um like i said lisa ferguson was my campaign manager she helped a lot with that um zach caldwell was another individual i brought in in a paid position with my campaign that uh, really helped keep me um keep me focused and, and keep me um <laughs> hitting all of those events and hitting all the doors and um, when Abigail talks about that, we knock doors on hundred degree temperature. I mean, we, oh my goodness, we hit, I can't even remember what our final count was. It was almost 5,000 doors by the end of the election. Um, so that was, that was personal touches that not just I made, but the teachers who were working with me made, um, other teams that I had knocking doors with me, but a lot of them were me and Abigail. (laughs) (laughs) You were at so many of those events. I mean, talk about social media. I was Mm -hmm. exhausted just watching your feed of like one day you'd be in this County at these four events. And then the very next day it'd be a whole nother slate Mm -hmm. of, of all these different activities. Mm -hmm. So how did you, because even though you do have to just have that commitment to put your head down, barrel through it for nine months or however long it's going to take. But during that time, you had to take care of yourself somehow. Mm -hmm. So how did you give yourself permission to detach Mm -hmm. when you knew you needed to? I didn't do that very well. I I didn't. And that's where um, people like my husband came in and just said, yeah, no, not today. You're not knocking today. And we're not, we're not doing that. It was, um, it was again, Lisa saying, Hey, I, I, I think you're about to go off the deep end here a little bit. You're getting, she could see when I was getting really frazzled and when I was not making a lot of sense or when I, she could tell my emotions were about ready to, you know, (laughs) bubble over telling me, you know, I think you just need to take a break tonight. Go ahead, shut everything down. Don't worry about it. I've got it. I'm going to write these three areas up and I'll get them to you tomorrow. Um, because a squad, a squad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I had, you know, I had people like Julia Springsteen who was doing this with me, who was running for office herself while I was running for office. And when you have other women around you that are doing that kind of thing at the same time as you, that really became my stress relief as well. It's just sitting down with, with her and just comparing notes and, you know, comparing challenges and, you know, come on, we can do it and pushing each other. Um, that, in I, I just did not manage that well. Um, and I'm working on that now. Uh, I'm trying really hard to protect some of my time and my space and say no to things. Like you guys are posting your what's your brave thing that you did on Friday. <laughs> and it feels like every week I've said no to something else. And to me, that's being brave. That totally is. It is. <laughs> it is. This is the year of the no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, mine last week was like along the same lines of like, I did nothing. Like, and uh, there was some context to it. But I was like, sometimes doing nothing is really, really hard. It and is. Giving yourself that permission so I'm right there with you I don't do nothing well and my father um, he he passed away a couple of years ago and he was always on me about slowing down taking time away um, disconnecting digitally whatever it may be Um, and and he was that person for me um, when I was doing my dissertation and when I was you know getting my PhD and that was another very stressful time that I didn't deal with it very well and he, you know, he always was that reminder. And so I, I oftentimes heard him in the back of my head or something had happened and it would remind me of something that dad would tell me. And so it was always a good reminder for me uh, that he, that that was his complaint for me that I never knew how to, how to slow down. And, and my family was really wonderful that way too. So. Do you think your dad's proud of you? Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, definitely. Um, I... I would have loved anything for him to have been here to see this because this would have been right up his alley. That year would have been, uh, he would have been here in a heartbeat. And, and I'm so lucky because, um, you know, his brother and sister and all of my cousins are um, so close to me and they're absolutely amazing. And they were calling and texting that night and, you know, giving me jokes about, Indian politics, things we couldn't do in this kind of political <laughs> system, but, you know, are, are funny to us when we think about it. And I know he absolutely would have been 
um, just so proud and, and excited that we did this. And, uh, and it sounds like he made many opportunities for you growing up as a male influence, a great male influence in your life to say you can do this mm-hmm. and we need dads yeah. like that everywhere. Yeah. 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 I'm really fortunate. I had, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a very easy space. So, you know, we, you know, I experienced a lot of poverty growing up and I, you know, those, those sorts of things. And that shapes you in a way that gives you a certain amount of grit anyways. But my parents, you know, my mom and my dad both, they always, it, you know, I, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. It, it was expected of me, even though I was going to be the first um, and that's that having that as a child was really important no matter how I mean nothing was I mean we didn't have we had some times that were really not rosy mm-hmm. <laughs> they were really really tough um, but I never questioned the love my parents had for me during those difficult times and that they wanted the best for me and uh, that's that's always important to remember Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting to think about all the things that you had to overcome through this journey. And it makes so much sense now that you talk about your background and I'm seeing that, you know, the doctor, the, the, you know, so many things you've accomplished. And if you hadn't overcome those obstacles along the way, mm-hmm. would you have been able to get through the year you just <laughs> endured? I don't, I don't know, but I think, um, yeah, it breeds confidence yeah, in yourself. You're like, okay, I, it, what is, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you blonder. You know, so <laughs> One of my girlfriends, she's a mom of four, and she's running her own empire, and she said that. She went, she got her hair done, and she's like, what doesn't kill you makes you blonder, and she said, I just keep, I'm going to be white, that's just how I end up, but her point was, every time I go through something, I have more confidence Mm -hmm. in myself, and I come out the other end, and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I can handle it, I can do it. And that's getting to that point where women can be unstoppable because it doesn't mean we're successful 100% of the time, but Mm -hmm. it means that we're not going to stop. I mean, like, that's, that's kind of why we're here. Like, I I don't (laughs) know what you guys are like, that's my dream is not women who are perfect, but women who are resilient. And when I think of you, Danielle, I I mean, resilience is a a fighter. Mm -hmm. Gosh, those are words that come to mind that whatever other titles you run for or hold, I think those are probably the most important. I tell you that that is one thing as women we are so hard on ourselves and it you know one of the things I want Abigail to understand is that it's okay to make mistakes it is okay to fail that that when things are going perfectly or you've never had a problem it may not because you're living a charm life it may be because you're not pushing your boundaries you're not trying you're not you know really grabbing everything you can in this lifetime and I I want that for her I want that for all little girls you know I I don't want them gosh I I we watched the uh, documentary with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and you know she was seated at a table as one of the only women to be entered into to law school that year and had a, had the dean ask her why do you think you deserve that seat over a man Okay, I mean, I just, I want our little girls to grow up and and be okay with not just success, but failure and growth and not being perfect and that it's okay we're not perfect and and achieving um, in their own right um, and not being, well, she's the first in this area. We have so many firsts we haven't broken yet Mm -hmm. and I just want to see these little girls break those barriers and Mm -hmm. be those firsts. And that's an excellent point. And when someone asks me, why are you having an all-girls event? <laughs> or why, are you, why is it just Women's History Month? And I was like, well, when we have more CEOs or we have 50-50 when it comes to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. then we'll stop having events. That's not yeah. true. We'll keep having events. But <laughs> it's still month, one month out of 12. I yeah. don't think we should quit just yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know about the math on that, but it's not 50%. So but I think we got a ways to go. <laughs> I kind of feel petulant, though, because I'm like, duh. <laughs> but then to... That when it's a legitimate question, yeah. why, why are you still doing these things? Mm-hmm. You have equality, mm-hmm. and it's hard to explain to a person in two minutes or less mm-hmm. about nuances mm-hmm. and about the, all the things that we continue to face, and that our daughters and our nieces and the girls to come will continue to face if we don't fight mm-hmm. all the time. 
Abigail did a did a Super Saturday at the Louisville Science Center in February, and she did an engineering weekend. Her weekends were focused on engineering, and the teacher told me that they were so excited because two little girls signed up this time, and it's usually, you know, all boys. So out of the entire room, there were two little girls in this session, and they thought that was amazing. Well, we went to engineering day, uh, and of course, you look around the room at all these really cool projects going on, and we counted maybe five young women there. Uh, and so there are these fields where we're dramatically underrepresented. Here in Kentucky, prior to this last election, I think it was like 17% of our legislature was women. 17%. And representing us. And representing us. Uh, and, and that's what I mean, that we need to be at the table. And I, not just at the table, but like Shirley Chisholm said, if they won't give us a seat at the table, you bring your folding chair and you put it there. Uh, because we have a perspective that needs to be heard on uh, maternity leave, parental leave, uh, child care, education, all of these things that um, directly impact a lot of what we do because we still are on what we call in sociology the second shift. We work all day, we do all these things, and then we come home and we do the labor, the maternal labor at home and those sorts of things. So we need women at the table talking about these issues. Um, and we need we need our girls just, man, pushing through and getting, getting rid of these firsts and wanting to pound the table. You told me not to do that. <laughs> you can, all right, you can build the table. Pound the table. <laughs> And, and to my boys, to explain, it's not about taking anybody down no. when I use the word fight. It's about, hey, yes, we have equal, air quote, mm -hmm. equal rights, but it is not equal. No. And we have to do the things that it takes mm -hmm. to make it make it so. Exactly. Just keep pulling up chairs. And just keep pulling <laughs> up chairs. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to share? Don't get scared <laughs> when you hear, you're at the end of this podcast, and, and I tell my, my students this in my race, class, and gender courses, because we tend to study a lot of really depressing things, and you think, oh, is there anything I can do? Don't get scared after listening to this. Find that one thing you're passionate about. It may not be running for office, but it may be something going on in your community. And just put yourself out there. Make a contact with that organization and go volunteer and go be a voice for whatever it is you, you want to do. Um, we need more of that in our community. We need more people that recognize the the wonderful things we have going on, yes, but all of these these important challenges for our families here that aren't doing so well. And uh, So don't get scared. Have some courage and... And if you, re if you want to run for office, look me up. I would love to talk to you and to, to help you think about what that would look like and what you need to do to, um, to make that happen for yourself and your family. Thank you for being brave. Yeah, thank you for sitting down and talking with me and, and hearing this whole crazy process we went through. <laughs>